Global Presence Radio Network. Uh, we're getting uh, our button pushers are, are pushing the right buttons. Uh, so <laughs> we are coming to you today from the Grand Fork Studios. Father James Gross, priest of the Diocese of Fargo, joined as always by my uh, compatriot and classmate, Father Jason Leffer. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Father Gross. Just like the weather, we're getting a bumpy start. <laughs> yes, yes, a bumpy start with uh, all sorts of uh, ice, uh, ice-covered and snow-compacted highways and the, the, the joys of late winter, uh, er, early spring here. Like I always say, you know, uh, winter and spring always have a war and the battle line is right over top of us. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, speaking of right over the top of us, one of the things as a pastor I'm concerned about is the uh, large amount of snow on the roof directly above where we are. So I'm, I'm just praying that uh, as things warm up, um, there aren't a whole bunch of new leaks being uh, revealed in uh, I can tell various parts of the building. I can tell you're a pastor, because these are things that pastors worry about. <laughs> right, right. You know, there are certain things that we want to do and certain things we need to do. And if we need to pay for major roof repairs, the wants are going to have to go you know, <laughs> two, five, ten years down the road. So that's just that's just a way of life. So, well, this, as well as everything else, we hand over to the Lord for his safekeeping. And so I'm going to call on Father Leffer to lead us with an opening prayer. As we enter into prayer this morning, we call to mind we're in the season of Lent. And also, in the midst of Lent, we've got our famous St. Patrick coming up. We've got our St. Joseph and the Annunciation. And so we, we call all that to mind as we invoke our Heavenly Father, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God, our Father in Heaven, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We adore you. We glorify you. Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit, Lord, and giver of life into our hearts, our minds, our imaginations, our memories. As the Gospel says today, may our hearts and our ears be open to hear your word, O Lord. May our hearts be soft. May we be obedient to your command. And may we um, turn to you face to face through your word this day. We ask all this through Christ our Lord, in the Father, Amen. the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And as Father Leffer alluded to there just a moment ago, there is a liturgical smorgasbord of all sorts of different things which we will want to bring up as part of our topics for the Straight Talk segment at the bottom of the hour. But uh, we do definitely want to hear from you as well, and we'll give you the information as to how to do that as we get closer to that time. But first, it is time to resume our Waltz Down Literary Land as we are sashay. visiting it's sashay. Our, our sashay down literary lane <laughs> yes indeed with um, uh, our uh, regular guests for this segment we have our brother priest of the diocese of fargo father william slattery welcome back to real presence live father thank you good to be with you all and we also have with us uh, nancy gord welcome back nancy well thank you so much and uh, we are going to be diving into a pretty big topic here, a true <laughs> epic, um, The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander Dumas. So um, before we uh, get into any other specifics, um, if I could call upon one of you to just set the stage a little bit for, you know, kind of the, the, the time frame, the, the location, kind of just orient us in terms of when, um, you know, when the action takes place in the book and, and uh, just kind of help us start diving into the main uh, aspects of it. Well, the novel is set during the time of Napoleon's exile and his escape from Elba. So this would be 1815. And it takes place in Italy. It's in France. Uh, it is a classic revenge story, and it has been frequently made into film 
in various versions. And in different cultures have handled this story as well. It, it is an adventure. Students love reading this book. If you read it in its entirety, it is a lengthy book. It is a weighty tome. Yes, it is. Oh, it is. It's a little red wagon trying to transport it. So, uh, but you, you know, so many people know this story, but it is the story of a sailor, uh, Dante's, uh, who's on the verge of marriage to his beloved, and he's about to be promoted on his merchant ship. And he is falsely imprisoned due to information contained in a letter he was asked to deliver. Now, there are three men responsible for his being held for 14 years. One who desires his fiance, one who envies his advancement, and one who fears the information in the letter will devastate his name and career as a prosecutor. Now, during his imprisonment, Dante's learns of a remarkable, fantastic treasure from a fellow captive, Abby Freya, who befriends him and tells him where to find the riches. When Freya dies, Dante's takes his place in his shroud, thrown into the sea, survives to retrieve this vast treasure, and exacts his well-planned revenge on the three men. For his imprisonment and also for his father's suffering and death, now, none of the three very successful men have exactly led sterling lives since playing their part in Dante's suffering and loss. So uh, he does an excellent job, the Count of Monte Cristo, uh, who is Edward Dante. He also disguises himself as Sinbad the Sailor, Lord Wilmer, and Abby Bisconi. Uh, he preys upon their character flaws to help exact his revenge. And the tale unfolds in a very lengthy and actually very engaging way. So, Nancy, you, you used the, the line you said, a classic revenge story. Could you um, enlighten us a little bit? When you say that, what do you mean a classic revenge story? Well, it is one that is always referred to over time. So when something is classic, you go back and you look at it, it almost sets an example of what one does. And with Dante's case, and he considers himself, and Father Slattery and I have talked about this, as sort of the avenging angel of God, this retribution for suffering. And, you know, you can even go back further. The Odyssey has some elements of this as well. But this idea that there is a man so determined, this protagonist, hero, determined, focused, and you have these clear villains. That's a very classic setup. Now, uh, there are a lot of villainous people in this piece. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, Father Slattery, when, okay, we're, we're Christians. We're supposed to love our enemies. Why, um, why... Yeah, why would we be promoting a revenge story on Catholic radio? Can you enter, help us understand yeah. why this is a why this is worth reading? Yeah, well, I think uh, what uh, I mean th that that motif of the classic revenge story is is you know a very important part of the book. Um, it's it is like an adventure, uh, and so like, it is a romance novel in that sense of like again the motif though um, ultimately points to like the interior conflict that's in Dantes between the way he responds to the injustice 
which uh, there's a natural kind of anger and desire for vengeance that comes when we have experienced that much suffering, especially with his, uh, again, being robbed of his, his wife, uh, losing his, his fiance, his father dying of starvation. Like these are, again, these aren't just like, oh, you stole $10,000 from me. These are crimes that uh, go, they cry out to heaven. And so there's that kind of natural way in which that drive for vengeance is a human quality. Um, the conflict, though, is that there is also within the human soul that, uh, again, desire for good. And I think that's why, you know, Dumas uses that classic kind of narrative and motif of the revenge novel to point to um, the way in which that human struggle for vengeance finds its, uh, again, it's not satisfied and, uh, and it has to be resolved in some other way. And then, so that's why I think, you know, this is such a great example. Uh, it's so fun because it's easily connectable. We all have that kind of human instinct and struggle um, with the desire for vengeance, uh, to repair wrongs, the, struggle, the reality of justice that we long for. Yet at the same time, we, we sit in that, that kind of middle ground. There is that void between our ability to achieve it. Um, and you see that play out in the figure of Dante's. Okay, so then, and the author Alexander Dumas, he, um, it's it's interesting because um, as I looked up in his life a little bit, a key person in his life when he was a young man was actually a Catholic priest, who helped him get started into literature and writing and the and the arts and so forth. Um, Nancy, could you could you introduce us to the priest who plays a key role? In, in this whole story and kind of um, really is the critical thing to make it all happen. Well, Abbe Ferrier has been in prison for a while, and actually all the people working in the prison feel that he's mad because he talks of this vast treasure that he now has access to. It's been left to him, and he knows where it's hidden. He knows its vastness. And he, again, is imprisoned and, and has this great sense of, injustice and he works to escape and this is an older man no doubt even more aged due to his suffering in the prison but he is like he's digging he is digging his way out and he actually digs his way into uh, Dante's cell and Dante's at this point is kind of curious because he stops eating for a while he is so full of despair and sees no hope and later on, his father actually, in his despair, dies of starvation as well. Uh, but the Abbey becomes friends with Dante's, shares this story. They work together. They have a goal. You know, there's a possibility of escape, but the Abbey is very infirm. But he becomes a friend, a mentor, like a substitute father figure there. And Dante's learns much from him, and there's that human connection again. There isn't that isolation anymore. And the warmth of that friendship definitely helps sustain him. And when the Abbey passes away, he manages to get into the Abbey's cell because of the way they have dug out blocks in, in this prison, takes his place in the shroud, and is thrown into the sea. Now, he has a knife with him. So he's able to cut his way out and then you know, swim to shore. He still has enough strength to do these things. But, but it is, um, Dumas does a wonderful job of providing that human connection again because Dante then begins to eat and engage in life because of him. 
So he gets many gifts from this priest. Father, Father Slattery, could you maybe um, help us understand, like, wh- kind of this relationship between uh, the the priest and 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 him? What like how, what, do we see like elements of the father and and the son and and redemption that kind of thing? Can you could you bring us into that kind of christological uh, maturity that's taking yeah. place through this? Yeah. Well, I think uh, I mean, a big thing there is just the, uh, I think it points to the spiritual fatherhood of like of the priestly figure. I mean, he he finds you know uh, Dante in this moment in which he's like abandoning life. Uh, you know, he's on starvation. He wants to die. He's kind of uh, consigned himself basically just to not eat and to perish. And uh, it's in this moment that he meets this figure who. Uh, you know, like, I mean, for a narrative theme, is almost like a Merlin. Uh, you know, like, there's almost a wizardish quality to the way in which um, his intellect operates, his, his desires are so beyond him. Um, yet, again, that desire of the fatherly figure of, of the Abbey, Faria, uh, he provides Dantes with not only hope, um, but he gives to them all this skill. He, I mean, he starts training him in languages and in mathematics, understanding. Uh, again, distilling in a hope also of escape and liberty, um, and then this reality of the treasure, of like this, uh, again, hope for this um, thing that is beyond that in the moment Dantes thinks is, is madness, he doesn't, you know, he sees all these other good things, but um, he doesn't, again, even think that the treasure is real. But, uh, you know, the Abbe Freya bestows that gift upon him in the end, um, giving him the map to find it, the directions of where the treasure is, is held and buried, um, and he, he gives it gives them too with that growth like a command almost and you see like the moral formation that flows in Dante uh, he doesn't constrain him like you know you have to use this uh, this wealth for good but you see like the good that has been given over through the example of Faria and how it's benefited Dante's life ultimately yes. becomes the the trajectory of how Dante's will then use that treasure um, ultimately for for not only is, again, the vengeance that is unsatisfying, but to do some great things, which we can talk about after the break. And yes, we'll be uh, stepping aside here. We are talking about a great uh, classic epic of literature, The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander Dumas. And we have Father William Slattery and Nancy Gord joining us. We'll continue this conversation after a short break. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Welcome back to Real Presence Live, coming to you from the Grand Forks studios. Uh, Father Jason Leffer joining me, Father James Gross. And in our next segment, starting at the bottom of the hour, we are going to be taking your questions about matters of faith, anything that you are uh, can, um, curious about in our Straight Talk segment. That number is 877-795-0122. You can also leave questions on our Facebook page at Real Presence Radio. For now, we're going to continue our discussion with Nancy Gord and Father William Slattery about this uh, book, The Count of Monte Cristo, which um, I am about two thirds of the way through, and uh, <laughs> you know, so it's 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 quite a labor. So I've been working on this, and and you know, I'm I'm a little curious though. They haven't mentioned the sandwich once yet, so I'm wondering <laughs> what what the deal oh, is there. <laughs> Is it true that you have a little red wagon and a, and a pony to, to pull the novel behind you? I was spared by that. It, it's it's on my iPad, but my tablet does feel a little heavier having this book downloaded onto it. Yes. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. So anyway, one of the things that I guess I wanted to um, speak about, we were just uh, during the break talking about these um, images of redemption and... Um, 
one of the things that really intrigued me in terms of the um, uh, the, the focus that um, uh, the, the the author puts on this, you know, after uh, Dante's uh, gains his escape, is how he becomes something of a Renaissance man. You know, he um, uh, acquires so much uh, different knowledge and is able to um, uh, obtain a lot of influence and things uh, with regard to the people he deals with, so that it's almost like he becomes kind of a a puppeteer. You know, as <laughs> with various uh, events in life and people sort of on a string but you know it, and and that's what really adds to the drama to the of the book for me is is the contrast from you know a man who had just about lost his will to live he was separated from the love of his life just on the eve of his wedding thrown into prison without any uh, possibility or prospect of uh, release or escape and then he recovers through the help of uh, Abbe Furi uh, you know his uh, will to live his will to thrive and what he does with it in terms of you know his personal accomplishments that is really something that that I take with me so you know I'd, I'd like to hear some of your thoughts on that as well. Well, I do think we, we have to mention that when he escapes, he does go back to reward the man who owned the shipping company, who really fought on his behalf and tried to take care of his father, and that is uh, Morel. right? Morel. Mm -hmm. And he does go back, and he helps him a great deal. This is a another person who is in despair because he's he's had a series of bad bad misfortunes. Um, ships lost at sea, uh, goods, you know, that, that haven't come into port. And he's about to lose his business. And uh, Dante's in disguise does manipulate, you know, financial markets and everything else. And I, one of the most stunning scenes to me is that just as Morel thinks it is the end of all and he's going to kill himself, his children come to him, Maximilian, and, and come to him, and they, they're like, Father, Father, and this magnificent ship is coming into port, a magnificent ship, and they, they have gotten funding, and they have been saved miraculously. So Dante does this very important good work to give thanks to the man who, who tried to get him released from prison, who beseeched the authorities, who left money for his um, despairing father who was not eating. And so he does do that first. Now, after he does this great act, we for 10 years then, he waits to really get all the machinations in place. And, you know, we have to talk about free will here. He yes. sets things up, but all he does is open the door. The other people come in. Mm-hmm. Father Slattery, yeah, any uh, thoughts to follow up on that? Well, I think, again, I think that's why, I, I mean, I love this album so much, is because, again, while while it concludes that motif of, like, the the kind of the classic revenge, you know, narrative, um, there's just so much more to it, uh, and it gets into, like, just the, the depth of, of moral life, because, yeah, he doesn't just, like, become the actor. I mean, he's behind the scene, and ultimately it's, like, the, the core defects in these individuals that he manipulates um, that ultimately kind of move the next portion of the novel, which is like, you know, the, the work towards his accomplishing his revenge. Um, 
you know, again, he's almost like this hidden figure. This uh, he's described as like a vampire, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, a- acting behind the scenes, this grand figure, uh, almost like the Wizard of Oz. Um, you know, just uh, being able to uh, know so much, work so much. Um, but it is like the core struggles that these in- individuals have, like Dongla, who is just inc- incredibly envious of of his position. The desire that uh, Masurf or Fernand has for Mercedes um, is the reality of lust. The greed of Caderus, his neighbor, that gets manipulated over and over again, and Bill Thor's ambition and pride. That they they become the downfall that he uses um, to uh, to exact uh, again his his form of retribution. You know what makes me think of Father is like you know just in you know in God's kingdom like you, you don't get away with anything like. You might think you do, but but you don't. Like God's justice, you you don't, you really don't get away with anything. You know, I mean, there's always this this accounting that that comes forth, and so there there really is beautiful examples of mercy and justice. You know, throughout the mm-hmm. novel, could um, we're getting getting close to short on time here. So, uh, could could you develop or or share with us, help us understand, um. Some of the women in the novel, for example, Mercedes and, and Haiti. What 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 roles do they play, or why? I mean, you know, poor Mercedes, but then she ends up going off and living a religious life, kind of thing. Um, yeah. And then, how about the role of Haiti? What does she represent as they go off into the sunset together? What could help help yeah. us understand the, the the roles of these two uh, figures? Well, Mercedes well, I, I is say, his oh. beloved, yeah, and she, but she does recognize him, and you know what Mercedes says is that she blames herself. She says, don't, don't, you know, exact any vengeance on my son. It is my fault. And Father, if you want to talk about Haiti. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, yeah, Mercedes is his first love. Uh, he, he was, uh, she was basically his everything of what he desired out of life, and again, being gone, married to his enemy, she, he becomes a point of, like, again, intense suffering for him. Um, as he exacts his revenge, um, you know, he, he almost has, has, like, exited communion with people, um, you know, in, in this desire for his revenge. Uh, and ultimately, then, this figure of Ide is this, uh, she was a princess uh, in the area of Turkey um, during the fall, especially of, uh, of the kind of Turkish... Um, we'd say tribal leaders, um, and then she was one of the the Pasha of Yanina's daughter, um, she, who was betrayed by the figure of Fernand, mm-hmm. and so he, he uses this figure of Ide ultimately as a tool to bring about the end of his uh, again his greatest enemy Fernand, who stole his his love. Yet Ide, as she as she comes to live with the Count, um, as she comes to know him, begins to love him, and this I think becomes the figure where. Um, he loved Mercedes, her life and his have been separated by this experience. Um, Ide becomes that kind of reality of resurrection. Um, again, uh, again, loving him and, and ultimately renewing life in him as he uh, stops this desire for vengeance uh, and looks to uh, kind of end this kind of long-standing like, revenge. Almost almost making him ready to enter into the city of God kind of thing. You know, yeah, yeah. enjoy happiness, for glory. life again. Yeah, I mean, right. again, like, it starts off the novel, you know, Dantes is portrayed as this Lord Rufflin vampire figure, almost as like a corpse. Um, and it is at the end, as he embraces life again uh, through Ide, through his friendships, 
that he's brought back to life. But he's almost shocked that he has a second chance at, at love, that he doesn't, he didn't think that was in his future. So for those of you um, who want to read the book, uh, stick with it because it has a wonderfully happy ending. Very good. Well, we're we're running short on time here, and uh, certainly we could carry this on, you know, much longer than just the segments that we're privileged to have you with. Um, but uh, we're wondering, as we uh, conclude our time here, uh, Nancy and Father, if you've been uh, thinking about uh, uh, another work that we might uh, discuss next on the air. Well, Father, I texted you a title and just yeah. wonder how you feel about that or if you have a suggestion in mind. No, I thought that would be a great title. So I think uh, Nancy has suggested Little Women. Uh-huh. Right. Little Women by Louisa May Alcott. Yeah, mm-hmm. another classic. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. We're certainly going to look forward to that. There was a um, uh, fairly highly acclaimed recent uh, film uh, based on the movie, as well as a couple of other renditions. So this is one of those that um, has uh, made its way onto uh, the stage and the silver screen and in a number of different productions, too. Nancy Gord and Father William Slattery, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, thanks for uh, enlightening us on the Count of Monte Cristo. Oh, well, thank it's you. a pleasure to be with you. Fantastic. And uh, just after this uh, after this break coming up, we're going to have our Straight Talk segment. And it's a chance to hear for us to hear from you and for you to bring your questions about faith, things you've been wanting to know, but up until now may have been afraid to ask. So 877-795-0122 is that number. Also, you can leave your questions on our Facebook page for Real Presence Radio. And we will start that segment after this break. You're listening to Real Presence. Live. 